It's time for Security Now. Steve is here. We would normally be doing Q&As, but man, there's so much news. Bitcoin news, go-to-fail news, flaws, exploits. The hackers are winning. Ta-da, ta-da. We're, we're going to cover the news, and it's going to be a great show. You stay tuned. Security Now is next. Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Security Now is provided by Cashfly at C A C H E F L Y dot com. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson, episode 444, recorded February 25th, 2014. Go to fail. Security Now is brought to you by IT Pro TV. Are you looking to upgrade your IT skills or prepare for certification? IT Pro TV offers engaging and informative tutorials. Stream to your Roku, computer, or mobile device. For 50% off the lifetime of your account, go to itpro.tv slash security now and use the offer code SN50. And by ProXPN. ProXPN is a virtual private network that allows you to use the Internet the way it should be anonymously and without oversight. For 20% off your new account, go to proxpn.com slash twit and use the offer code SN20. It's time for Security Now, the show that covers your security, your privacy online, and this is a good week to do it, I tell you. <laughs> oh, baby. Steve Gibson's here. He's the explainer-in-chief, the guy who uh, knows all, tells all, pulls no punches, and uh, if you want an independent, um, intelligent uh, source for your security information, I think you need to look no further. And I say that even as uh, as the guy who uh, hosts the show uh, on our Twit network. Um, it's just great. I'm so glad you're here again, Steve. Thank you. Well, uh, we had a busy week. Oh, yeah. uh, we never, re- you know, we always try to predict or we, we sort of have a, a presumed thing we're going to do. And when we wrap up the podcast the prior week, for example, we discussed that we would probably be doing a Q&A, but that's always given the fact that, you know, the, whole, the world allows us to do that, which for this episode, number 444, uh, we had just had too much news this week. There was too much going on. Um, so this week in Security Now, we're going to talk about Apple's difficult to rationalize screw up with SSL TLS. I mean, I've looked at the source code, and I mean, well, so if have we really, all. It's, it's you amazing. Really, you really have to wonder how yeah. this happened. So yeah. I want to talk about that. Then we have instant, instant messaging issues in the news as a consequence of Facebook's announcement that they're going to buy WhatsApp. And, you know, and we covered a few weeks ago the fact that Facebook had changed their, their um, terms of service such that they would be allowed to read people's text messages. So it's like, oh, okay, that's caused an exodus from WhatsApp um, to alternatives. And one that a lot of people have asked about is this one called Telegram, which is, uh, you know, we'll talk about that a lot. Uh, then we've got the whole Netflix, Comcast, Cogent, and Verizon Okay, uh, I really want to get your take on this one. Bandwidth confusion yeah. and what happened there. Mount Gox apparently is gone. Um, and then I saw, found some very interesting stats analyzing the 
all of the security second Tuesday patch updates that Microsoft issued during all of 2013 and what the effect of not being an admin would have had Hmm. versus having administrative privileges. This, of course, is increasingly important as we're counting down. We have 41 days to go now until XP's no longer getting a patch Tuesday at all. Um, But it also applies, of course, to Vista and Windows 7 and Windows 8. That is, this whole idea of the the, the relative... um, uh, the, the the small barrier that is put up if you run as a standard user rather than as an admin user. And because of the problem, you know, Microsoft has continued to try things like the UAC um, screens that come up that ask for your permissions and so forth. Anyway, uh, the stats are fascinating. So uh, we'll talk about that. And I've got a little miscellany stuff. I ran across... Uh, Cringely's, Robert X. Cringely's lost interview of Steve Jobs. Oh, my God. It's the best thing I've seen. Wow. Yeah. So Great. We have a great podcast. Sounds good. (laughs) I love it. We're going to get to it in just a second. Before we do, though, uh, let's say hello to uh, one of our great sponsors, IT Pro TV. I know a lot of you uh, really are interested in learning more about IT, sometimes just because you're interested. That's probably why you listen to the show. But, you know, a lot of you want to get a job. And uh, those certs are so valuable uh, and can be so expensive to get. CompTIA, the A+, Net+, Security+, and CASP certs. The Microsoft certs, MCSA and MTA. The Cisco certs. The uh, ISC squared certs. These, These certifications are often the key to getting a great job in IT. And, yeah, you can pay a lot of money and go to a technical school and, and, and study study up for the tests. You could also pay a lot of money, buy materials, uh, you know, books and so forth to learn. But I want to recommend IT Pro TV. They just uh, celebrated their 1,000th customer. They are a really, really great company. In fact, I know them because they, uh, they came by uh, and visited the uh, studios uh, a couple of months ago because they wanted to put this uh, thing together. The IT Pro TV folks are uh, trainers. They have been for more than a decade. Uh, guys who have spent a long time learning and how to teach this stuff. They're, they've been really good at it. And I think they were a little bit inspired by the screensavers. I know they were inspired because they told me by uh, a talk, a panel I did at NAB. And they said, you know, maybe the best way to do this would be if we uh, did it kind of like Twit does it. Uh with a, with a live TV stream, with videos, done in a friendly, helpful, kind of screensavers fashion. They built a set. They bought a TriCaster. They, they use all the same equipment we do. And, I, and with my blessing, because I think it's great. Uh, if you're ready to study and to learn, you could put this on your Roku. They've got a great Roku channel. You could put it on your computer, your laptop. You can download or watch live. And I love the idea of live because... They have a chat room going, and when you, you know, they're not always live, but when they are, you can ask questions directly and they'll answer them on the stream. Let's just check in on the live stream right now. That's Tim, I think. Tied to a device that doesn't dynamic update. These are normally network printers, wireless access points, systems like that where somebody might have manually created the record. 
and just double check. And you can see in the chats, in the chats going on. I mean, this is really. If it's not actually, maybe that's Don. I've always confused Don and Tim. I just love it. I here's the deal. Normally, IT Pro TV is is a very affordable. Uh, Fifty-seven dollars a month. You sign up for a year. It's f it's five hundred seventy dollars for the year, but because they love Steve, because they they really uh, believe in what they're doing and they want to get the word out, they have offered us a special deal: fifty percent off. And that's not just for the first month. That's not for the first year. That's forever. That means twenty-eight fifty a month, less than one prep book, two hundred eighty-five dollars a year, and you're going to learn everything you need to know for those certs. I want you to visit itpro.tv slash security now. You can say uh, say hello to Don and Tim and, and find out more about what they're doing. They're great instructors. They're, you can watch samples, uh, visit the episode library, see all the episodes, hundreds of episodes now and more all the time, 20 hours a week, every week. And don't forget to use the offer code SN50 to get 50% off for the life of your account. I love this. I'm I'm really thrilled to... This is this is the kind of uh, homage I appreciate. ITPro.tv/slash/security/now. The offer code SN50. Back to Steve Gibson in his fortress of <laughs> solitude, and uh, or whatever you call it, fortress of security, fortress of caffeine. Yeah, right now, absolutely. So. Um, the Wemo users are safe, according to TechHive. Now, by the way, TechHive, I love TechHive. was created by Jason Snell. It's an IDG publication. Jason oversees it, and they do a really, really good job, I think. Yep. So what's, um, what's what I, 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 wanted, I wanted to update uh, from last week when we talked about the, the potential problems to, to note something that I found out about just after we did the podcast, which and I tweeted it immediately for anyone who follows me on Twitter, that Belkin had, with very little fanfare, fixed all of the problems that we were enumerating last week and just sort of silently put them out there. So although they weren't communicating, which I think is, you know, their mistake, they need to communicate with the security community and let and let people know who have been reporting problems that, oh, yeah, thanks, you know, for letting us know we've got that fixed now. I mean, because that would, you know, prevent us from having any sort of wild goose chase and and uh, and and keep from getting people upset and concerned when they shouldn't be. So they the good news is they responded to all of the findings, which were valid of original insecurities and did get everything fixed. So, you know, really rookie mistakes like the private key used to sign the firmware no longer being included in the firmware, which is, you know, handy. <laughs> Those have been fixed and the other problems too. So uh, I just wanted to let people know. I mean, there was a great, great concern. News. That's great. News. Yes. Yeah. There was a great concern around, a, you know, among Wemo users, yourself included, that, you know, that for example, there could be substantial exploits resulting from this, and uh, there certainly could have been. So, uh, as far as we know, those are fixed. And I wanted if, to if you got lead, the, lead. If you got yeah, the January twenty fourth firmware, you have the uh, the fix, and the Wemo yes. app for iOS January twenty fourth for Android February tenth will uh, fix those. We'll give you the update. So right. That's good. Okay, so 
we titled the podcast Go to Fail um, because this has now become the the famous and infamous line of source code uh, that was discovered when when Apple fixed a problem which we first knew about from the patch in to iOS. What happened was on Friday of last week, so five days ago, they, well, no, not four, four days ago, they just sort of said, oh, here's 7.0.6 without really, and, and there was a little mention that it's like fixed some SSL problem, but nothing more was really said. Um, then what quickly came to light is that they had they had made a change to the source and this chunk of source is open it's standard open source software uh you know that we talk about a lot and a comparison of the the source revealed that a line had been removed the line was go to fail and this particular chunk of code, yep, right there on the screen now for those who are seeing the video, this chunk of code, the, the, the job of it is to verify the certificate that has essentially is being used to protect an SSL or TLS conversation, you know, transport layer security, SSL, that, that we use for authenticating endpoints and for creating privacy. And and th this code is written in C, and and it uses an interesting property of of the C language. And essentially, what the code shows is the standard way you would you would hash a bunch of different information. The the way the, the hash algorithms work from the outside is you just you give it a big blob and out comes the digest. You know, we've talked about hashing often on the podcast. Internally, the way the hashing algorithms work is they're initialized and and sort of set up at the beginning, opened, and then a series of updates are issued each one taking a piece of this blob which is being given to it. Or, you know, depending upon the algorithm, you may be hashing a number of different things together. So each of these update calls would take one of these th th things and sort of add it into the hash, updating the state of the hash. And so you'd have a series of these updates until you were done with everything you wanted to hash, and then you 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 do what's called finalizing the hash, which is where the very complex internal state of the hash, which you really don't care about from the outside, that's what all the stuff you're putting in is mixing and stirring. When you finalize it, that's when you get the final output from the hash. So, so in this code that Apple had both, we should say, both in iOS and in Mac OS X, we can see the 
the very clear successive calls to updating the state of this SHA-1 hash, which is it, it's, its job is to verify the certificate. And the, and the, the idea is each of these update calls can succeed or might have a problem. It has, each of these calls has the ability to return an error. And you and, want to do them successfully. Successively, You want to do the first one, then the second one, and then the third one in a row, right? Yes, you have to. And, and so, for example, there was some discussion um, that I had this on Twitter. This is kind of inelegant C, by the way. It, it, it's kind of a weirdly written way to do this. but Well, actually, I think it's correct. Oh, it's Be- correct. Because- Absolutely. No, I mean, I, I think it's the, it's the correct right way, to do, way to do it. Okay. Yeah, because what you could do is you could concatenate all of these functions in a big, in a big and, you know, and a, a series of, of functions and together. Right. But then the order, I mean, and, and C defines this very clearly. If you concatenate functions with with ands, they have to be done in the order they occur and none will be executed after the first one fails. I mean, so the C specification is clear about that. But it actually, that's less clear, I think, than what than, than, than the, the semantic construction that was, that, that was done here in the source code. To me, this is very clear because we understand that the first one of these that fails... That is the first one of these calls that doesn't succeed will will cause a jump to fail now and, and so the point is that once upon a time at sort of at the dawn of structured programming, the go to was frowned on and and there was like all these formalizations that showed you absolutely never needed a go to that is you could always arrange to stay with the, the structured programming paradigm so you never technically needed one. And this actually was a response to, you know, we were like coming from the world Spag- of basic. Spaghetti code. Spaghetti code, code. Yeah. yes. Where you just have like go to 326 and go to 749. That's like, what? What? I mean, so like it was, it created impossible to read code. And so the reaction was, oh, go to's are evil. You should never use one because you don't need to after all. Well, it, so, so it's true, you absolutely don't need one, and that's been shown programmatically by, you know, by analyzing the language, you can always avoid it. But in my opinion, there are very good instances where it, it, it's clearer what you really want. I mean, you yeah. want, you're, in programming, you're talking to two different entities. You're talking to the computer, and you're talking to a human, who is someday going to read this source code. And this is really readable. I mean, it's very obvious what you're trying to yes. do here. Yes. So I, I agree mean, with I, you. This is the kind of thing a pro will write, knowing that go-tos are ugly, et cetera. But the go-to is right there in the inside the function. It's it's pretty we, obvious what's going yes, on. Yes, and in fact, that, that not equals zero is also not necessary. I mean, so... That's a good point. Um, if, if error is all you have to say... It, it, if it's zero, yeah. it's going to be it's going to fail or not exactly. Fail. Right. Right. And exactly the way so the if, if statement is right. defined is if it, it, it's actually testing for zero or not zero, mm-hmm. and so the the extra not equal zero at the end that's again that's yeah. But it's purposeless. But, it's but it, yeah. 
Yeah. It's clearer, exactly. Yeah. It generates no yeah. additional code. Yeah. Any compiler will optimize that out. So there's no cost to the result in saying not equal right. to zero, but it makes it very clear that that's what we are intending to have happen. And so the idea is that the, the other part of the if statement, which is a little confusing, is that when you say if something, well, there 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 isn't... In, in C, there's no need for then. You know, in, in basic, it's if something, then this. Well, that's the, the then is implied. And in the definition of the language, the, the single statement that follows if, the if clause, will be executed or not, depending upon the, the well, we'll use a, a Colbertism, the truthiness of the clause. And so that's where so, the second go to fail becomes a problem. Yes, it's always executed. And, and so the point is that the the language says we will either execute one, you know, the following statement or not. Mm -hmm. So that means if you actually want multiple statements to be executed or not, you need to create a block, and a, and you do that with curly braces. Right. So you would. If you really wanted, you know, multiple things to happen, you'd open a curly brace immediately after the if. And, of course, there's, you know, lots of arguments about whether it goes on the same line. <laughs> Does it go down below? It's kind of it's amazing all, all how, much, the left. how much people we, debate this crap. <laughs> do we indent it? I mean, it has no effect at all right. on, 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 on the semantics. But it's like, well, but it looks prettier or not. Or it's readability. Anyway, lots of religious arguments about that. But the point is you would, you would open a curly brace then you'd have a a you know one or more statements and then close the curly brace the and the compiler is, had, understands had they used curly braces the error might have been more obvious frankly uh, yes you know yes and so 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 here's the question so 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 what we have it's and pretty it's obvious. probably <laughs> it's not possible to to dis explain this verbally on the podcast but but Essentially, there, there, there's an alternating set. There, there, there's the if, and then a go to fail, and then an if statement, and a go to fail, and an if statement, and a go to fail. The idea being that we are we're successively doing these these hash updates, and we keep we keep doing it only if they all succeed. So at, we we ask we, we update the hash. We make sure that that update function does not return an error if it returns zero then that's like okay fine then we do the next one but if it returns a non-zero then the if statement is true and so the statement following the if which is go to fail is that that jump that go to is executed taking us to it, it frees some buffers and it returns the failure code from that most recently executed update. And so every little detail of this is important because what happened was somehow the go-to-fail was duplicated. Either there was another if statement in between them and it was deleted or the go-to-fail was just, a, a, you know, appeared twice. So what happens now is when the if statement before the doubled go to fail, when it succeeds, it does not execute 
the go-to. Remember, when it succeeds, it returns zero. So the if statement is false. It do, does not execute the statement that follows it, which is the first go-to fail. But it does execute the second statement that follows it, which is, unfortunately, the, the extra go-to fail, the, the doubled one. Now, what's really interesting is that when we go to fail, we do so with a non-failure error. Remember that the that update succeeded, meaning that it returned zero, which means no error. So we go to fail, free up the buffers, and then return no error. And that's the mistake. So, so the idea would be that this function is called verify signed server key exchange. That's the function's job. And as a just as, as a consequence of this doubled line, this function never fails. That is <laughs> it it can Even though it says go to fail and it always goes to fail, the yes. variable error ERR is 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 a success. Is a and success. that's what's returning. So always returns success. So even if you have a bad certificate, unsigned, you know, bogus, malicious, anything, this thing, the, when you call SSL, verify signed server key exchange, it says, yeah, we got no problems. Now, what's, so, so now here's the conspiracy theorists, because, I mean, when you look at this, I mean, and this is the reason I want to explain carefully what it means to go to fail after a success and how that always returns success. I mean, yes, this could just be lightning striking. Yes, this could just somehow have happened. But it also is incredibly clever. I mean, it's, you know, you know do... A million monkeys at typewriters ever actually create Shakespeare? Well, this did. <laughs> it's a it's the kind of thing. I mean, it's really uh, it's it's eleven letters, including the space. Um, actually, ten, including the space. Took three seconds to type. It's the kind of thing. If you really wanted to f make the, the the logic fail, you you could just put it in there pretty quickly and easily. And you uh, have plausible deniability. Right. That's it, just it. It looks, I mean, like, a, it looks like it, it was doubled by accident. It looks like a mistake. Yeah. Smells like a mistake. Walks and talks like a mistake. And But at the same time, it's like, it's diabolical. It's nice. Because not, it's elegantly done. <laughs> it's brilliant. It's, it's it, you know, a monkey got lucky. Right. And I, I just like, it, it's amazing to me. So anyway, so, I mean, there, so... It's caused a it's caused a huge controversy over the weekend. Um, a site was created, gotofail.com, which I used this morning, as did everybody who was who had Macs, to see whether the update we all received this morning to Mac OS 10 fixed the problem, and if it did, it did so silently, because nowhere in the in the update does apple say oh and we fix this really embarrassing problem everyone's been screaming about all weekend 
they talked about all kinds of other random stuff no one cares about that that they fixed in what is it 10.9.2 is the is was just released a few hours ago and i so i i used safari and verified that my my little mini uh was having the problem and then oh and i also ran chrome and firefox they never had a problem on Mac OS 10 because they use NSS, the Netscape security suite for to do all their crypto rather than the native crypto in the Mac. And so but so Safari was a, was vulnerable, the alternative browsers that is Chrome and Firefox weren't. However, so so people who are browsing with those browsers would have been safe, but all the other infrastructure of the Mac and you know the Apple cloud world was was all using this built-in broken SSL, and we know that iOS six was broken and seven was until Friday. Um, I haven't had, didn't have time to do the research to look back at where this entered OS ten, but for example, the um, the daringfireball.net blog, um, John Gruber, um, you know, he said, you know, his, his blog posting was Apple-Prism. And, and noticing, wow. I think it was, wow. um, it was a few days, or maybe it was the month after the Prism revelation, or maybe it was a month before. I don't remember um, what, what, what John wrote, but, um, but it was like, Right in the area of them saying, "Oh, oh I, I know what it, it was that it was that that the Prism documents alleged when Apple had been had joined Prism, and apparently this same day, October right twenty twelve, right around the same yeah, time. Yeah, so uh, he's quoting uh, Jeffrey Grossman on Twitter, who says the SSL vulnerability was introduced in iOS." 6.0, which shipped on the September 24th, 2012. And the slide in the leaked Prism PowerPoint deck said Apple was, quote, added in October 2012. Uh, wow. <laughs> I, I mean, that's so, a conspiracy theory. I'm not sure I buy it, but still. No, no. And, and, and we will never know. Um, this is almost too obvious. Yeah. We, well, I mean, it's in open want... source code, right? I mean, it's not. That's what no, we know. For, yeah, yeah, it's there for everyone to to right. look at. Absolutely, right. Right. and 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 so I mean, and okay, so so you know, we'll never know. What we want are really subtle things, like you know, random number generators that aren't really random, but everyone thinks they are. Right. That that's yeah. that's, that's elegant. Clever. That's yeah. you know, that's insidious. This. Where it just doesn't work at all. I mean, it just completely broken. It's a little you bit know, of a broad brush. It, it, took, it, it took an hour for someone to say, "Oh, let's test this," yeah. and you know, yeah. give it a bogus certificate. Right. It's like, oh, it thinks it's fine. I think that's so, maybe more of an indictment is that Apple's own testing didn't discover this. Frankly, well, yes, and that's what you know. All of the people who understand how this should be done, you know, how you do. So, you know, regression testing, the idea is that you, w with everything you do, you also create a 
a test, a, a test unit, a test, yeah, to, exactly, a test unit to 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 make sure it that like the things you are doing are working. So somewhere, I mean, this is what's it's it's hard to understand how this escaped Apple's attention for so long. The idea that nowhere between 6.0 of iOS and now was was a did Apple ever test their SSL connectivity by giving it something bad and making sure that it's unhappy. Yeah. I mean, what you want is there should be a, you know, a test of SSL verify signed server key seems, exchange seems pretty to obvious. make sure, to to make sure it says yeah. this is, no, this is bad. This is yeah. broken. This is yeah. not a good exchange. And it would have instantly raised a red flag and somebody would have immediately caught this doubled line. And a supervisor Somehow, doing code auditing would have seen this because it sticks out like a sore thumb. Yeah. I mean, any coder who looks at that code immediately sees the flaw. I mean, it's hard not to see. Yep, so. there's absolutely no reason for two go-tos in a row because the first one went. In so fact, the, the second one could have never come. Some of one of our chatters said that the IDE he uses, the the programming editor that he uses, would have flagged it as a doubled line. I mean, there's this just seems it's it's, just, it's a little discouraging, <laughs> frankly. It is uh, hard to understand. Oh. Yeah. yeah, and uh, uh, Adam. Langley's uh, blog at Imperial Violet. He's the guy who just who kind of revealed all this. Yeah, yeah, really great coverage yeah, of it. Yeah. Um, and of course, you know, Ars Technica and iMore and and everyone. Just like wow. So it was fixed on Friday. Everyone wants to be at seven point zero point six. And I haven't followed the controversy about six, but there are. There are earlier versions that cannot come up to seven. Is that the deal? So yeah, they also earlier fixed... hardware that can't be fixed. Right. Okay. Right. Right. And there's a new bug that that somebody's discovered. But uh... oh, we got that. We got yeah. that coming up next. As a matter. You know, there is a there's actually an interesting uh, story on Slashdot. The Linux. Uh, thank you to the chat room for passing this along. The Linux backdoor attempt of two thousand. Three, um, a slight change in code similar to what we're talking about, just a little change that looks like a, an innocuous code, uh, but it says equal to zero instead of equals equals zero, which is how you do a Boolean test in, uh, in C, <laughs> right? right? E so equals is an assignment. this is assignment yep. instead of a test. Uh, and in fact, wow is a backdoor. It offers a backdoor into Linux. The Linux team caught this. But this is the kind of error that you see all... This is a typo type of error that you see all the time in C. Yep. It's a very common error. So it might be their lint caught it or something else. But um, uh, and even at the time, in 2003, Ed Felton said, could this have been an NSA attack? Maybe. But there were many others who had the skill and motivation to carry out this attack. Unless somebody confesses, we'll never know. Yeah. And that's Ed Felton, one of the great security researchers, one of the legends in the business. And you could argue, too, that this is a flaw in the language. That oh, is, yeah. The, oh, yeah. It should not be oh, yeah. It should not be so prone to something so erroneous. I mean, the idea that, that you, would un, you would not detect an assignment where you are checking for equality, that it could completely change the meaning yeah. of what's happening. I, I mean, it's just, it's, you know, bad. 
that the, that the but language every sort of C programmer you. knows this, and it's the first thing you check. And I'm sure most automated lint tools and that the like see that. The the other thing we didn't mention is the fact that the indenting of C. I, mean, I did talk about how indenting doesn't matter to the meaning of the language, but of course, of course, Python famously doesn't does. have curly tabs, braces. Tabs count. Because exactly. <laughs> and, and, and it's really interesting then because then what you see is what you get. Whereas with, where indenting is done for readability but not for semantic meaning of the language, of, of, of what you're constructing, there you, you do, that's another place where you've got a problem in C is that indenting can mislead us. Right into assuming that that's what you know that what we that the indentation means something to the compiler when it, it absolutely doesn't White whereas space with is python it, it where, exactly that. where with python this would not have been an error this right. would not have worked in python because it would have understood the indentation to mean the, the implied block underneath the right. if statement that's a good point yeah it's a good point there is no so perfect have, language but that's the way it is that's no. programming we have Although Python is getting a lot of traction. I love I'm, Python. I'm, I've always loved Python. I, I've had some friends say that they're more productive in Python. Oh, yeah. I mean, some seriously seasoned veteran programmers yeah. who, you know, know their way around saying they, they produce more code more quickly that's better in Python. Python and Ruby. But they're both scripting languages. They're not production languages like C, C++. I mean, or assembler. Um you know, but uh, they're fun to write in. They, they're the kind of languages that programmers like because they can be very productive. They, they're fun yeah. to write in, yeah. So we do have a um, a new, another exploit just, just came to light. Uh, the guys at FireEye, whom we've spoken of before, um, have, they got a proof of concept through the Apple app vetting process into the Apple store benignly. I mean, this was a proof of concept. They're working with Apple on this. What they have demonstrated is that it is possible to do background keystroke monitoring across applications. And of course, that's the definition of malicious keystroke monitoring. We, we know, for example, that We've got multitasking in iOS, and it was expanded in 7 so that more things could run in the background. And, you know, music apps, for example, have long been able to do, to do that. You start playing music and you switch away from it, and it continues to play music. Well, with iOS 7, they, that, that was expanded, and it was also made um, visible in the control panel you, there is now the opportunity to control the the background execution of things. And for example, one of the one of the recommendations, if you're having like power drain, you know, battery battery short life uh, problems, is to go look and see if all the things that are have asked for background operation privilege, you really do want to have running in the background. And if not, you can flip those things off, and and iOS will. Will cause will allow them to run briefly to like do any little housekeeping they may need to do and then suspend them. Um, so, what we have is verification that a background app can what it can do is it can pick up the press and release coordinates on the screen. It can also 
uh, detect vo the, the, basically all of the UI actions, volume up and down buttons, the touch ID event, the pressing of the home button and the power button. So, you know, all of the all of those events, including you tapping on the screen. And of course, the screen is where we enter passwords and our, you know, our, our um, Apple ID uh, verification to uh, authenticate ourselves to the uh, iCloud and so forth. So that's not good. You know, we have generally fixed keyboards. And I would argue that, you know, we've seen successful malicious use of the much less information than than a background app is able to obtain. So I'm sure, you know, th this unfortunately happened after the release of 7.0.6. Um, it's non-trivial, by the way, to implement this because you have to get an app on the App Store. And because Apple knows about this, I can imagine they'll be looking specifically for this. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, so even if we don't have, an, I was just about to say that exactly that, Leo yeah. is even if we don't have an update, uh, it would be. I mean, hopefully, Apple will go through and look at all oh, the sure existing app yeah. to make sure that nobody's doing it already, um, and it'll get fixed because you absolutely don't want, you know, something monitoring your keystrokes when you're using a different application. Bigger image, though, uh, if you use a jailbroken app store, this is a reason why it's probably not a good idea because nobody's looking at those apps. So. Right, right. Okay, so Facebook announces to great fanfare last week that they're acquiring WhatsApp for an incredible amount of money. Was it $13 billion? I, I, Try I remember 16 it, with an additional okay. $3 billion over four years if everybody stays. <laughs> wow. Okay, well, they already lost that because everybody's not staying. Um or maybe they will gain more oh, key, people. Now key that, players have to stay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure yeah. what the exact so, details are. So, and, and what was that? One third of Facebook's cash, I think I remember reading. So, yeah. you know. 10% of their total value. Wow. <laughs> wow. It's a lot of money. So, um, the among the security conscious community, there was, as I mentioned at the top of the show, an exodus. Or is, in, we're in the process of there being an exodus. In fact, um, Which is, by the way, somewhat ironic because I don't know why anyone would assume WhatsApp is in any way secure. It doesn't make any claim of encryption or security, does it? No. Um, well, I mean, you know, they all they all say, oh, we're, you know, with secure messaging, although there have been and we haven't covered it because I just sort of said, well, kid, there isn't time to talk about everything. There, I mean, there have been some WhatsApp failures, you know, oh, some, yeah. some it publishes some your phone number in a way that malware can get it and use it. Yeah, so there were four, no. yeah, there were four Android malware apps which have been removed uh, that signed you up behind the scenes for uh, paid messaging, SMS messaging, and it did so because yeah. it could get your number from WhatsApp. So it, they just queried WhatsApp, hey, what's the guy's phone number? Okay, we'll sign him up. So, I mean, you know, yeah. it, it wasn't so, ever that secure, I don't think. So, so the good news is that security conscious people are now even more concerned with Facebook being the parent. And we you know, we just know in the long term, that's not going to be a good thing. So many things happened. Threema, the messaging app that I have looked at and have recommended in the past and still recommend because what they're, what they're doing is so transparent and, and simple and clear that it makes sense. 
you know, the, the, and and it is it's very simple to do good security. I mean, we have all the tools, all the pieces are in place for for solving these problems. These are not hard problems anymore. The, these are solved problems. And so so Threema is a is a, is the you know T H R E E M A. They saw their user base double after the announcement because a lot of people went to them. Telegram, which is telegram.org, saw 8 million downloads of Telegram, their messaging app, after WhatsApp got acquired uh, and after this announcement. Again, so people were moving away. I started getting tweets from people, from our listeners who follow me on Twitter saying, hey, what about Telegram? What do you think about it? You know, I had never seen it, looked at it, not really even heard about it. Um, it, it is, is their logo that, that, that paper airplane that kind of jumps around constantly? I, yeah. if, if so. Yeah, it's the logo is a paper I, airplane, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, there it is. So I had, I'd, I'd, you know, I'd seen it visually, but I'd never dug into it and looked at it. But, you know, so many people were tweeting me that I got tired of saying, go, you know, go look at Threema. I thought, okay, let me, let, let's go look at Telegram. So I go to the website and I'm impressed by the openness of what I see. I mean, they, they appear to be, you know, good people. Everything is open, open source. There's a, there's like their 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 multi platform. Yep, there on the screen you are showing the their their API. There's like a there's a a bunch of different stuff going on. They're they're running competitions with you know to like who can create the best Telegram Android app and and so forth. So you know all that seems good. So then of course I want to go find out about the crypto, and I see this diagram. That is the most bizarre-looking thing I have ever encountered. I mean, it may, I may, I don't think I'm exaggerating. Maybe it's the most bizarre thing I've ever encountered. And, and I look at it, and they're like, they're taking the plain text of the message, and then they're running it through an SHA one, and appending the the result to the to the ciphertext, but then also using the output of the SHA-1 through what they describe as a KDF, a, a key derivation function, several times to generate keys for an AES cipher that uses, there's the diagram you're showing it, Leo, that, that, that uses a block mode I've never heard of. You know, we've talked about how you how w w with the symmetric cipher you you can't just use it over and over and over. Everyone will will be familiar with that famous picture of like the the encrypted Linux penguin, where you can still see the Linux penguin even though the message has been encrypted because it was done with a with a block cipher that did not use an encryption mode. And we've talked about modes like cipher block chaining (CBC) and so forth. Well. Turns out there's one I'd never heard of. No, it's not on the Wikipedia page on block on on, on symmetric cipher block modes. It's called IGE, Infinite Garble Extension. Uh, sounds good to me. That's that sounds real strong. 
it's like, whoa, okay. So I went digging into what the heck is infinite garble extension. And now I know, and I don't know why, but, you know, it's, it's just something someone came up with. It, it's got XORs crossing over, the, and it looks very confusing. And so I guess that they're figuring, well, the bits will be more confused <laughs> by being garbled this way than if we didn't confuse the bits. Um, but so suffice to say, what these guys have done is they've rolled their own. And, you know, they've used chunks of... You know, crypto, AES, that's good. And SHA-1 is, eh, well, that's old. And we, we, I mean, and there's lots of reasons you wouldn't use SHA-1 today if you were creating something or even yesterday if it wasn't too far along ago because we know that MD5 and SHA-1, you know, are subject to various kinds of, of, of attacks. And, and they, they, so, so, Anyway, so as I begin, so this really piqued my curiosity, and I thought, okay, what the heck is going on here? So they have a, a an FAQ where they ask themselves some questions and answer them, um, because one of the things that I couldn't figure out was how this gave them end to end secrecy. How how they got you know what what users of chat clients want of chatting systems want is they want no man in the middle. They want man-in-the-middle protection. They want to know that what they send is encrypted from before it leaves their phone till after it arrives at the other phone, and there it's decrypted and is presented. This doesn't do that. So that's first, is that, that, that this is not what Telegram does. Telegram... In order to, they say, create this cloud experience where you can get your chats on multiple devices, they, ha- they, cannot, they cannot do that, they say, and offer end-to-end encryption. Well, I could, but they say they couldn't. Um, and another, uh, other people are, but these guys don't. So everyone wondering about Telegram has to understand that it's – that. By default, the normal way it operates is not secure. But they but they say uh, that they do have a end-to-end secret chat style, right? Correct. And I don't think that's secure either. Oh. But but they well because there are I mean what they've done is they they've they've they've, they've invented their own solutions and people have continued to find problems with them and point them out. And then they, you know, add some more glue to make it stronger. It's like, oh, well, this was a little rickety, so we just put more glue in. Yeah, that's and kind of a bad approach. It's kind of it's, a... It's, well, yeah. yes. So, so they say, asking themselves the question, how are secret chats different? Their answer is, secret chats are meant for people who really want secure, <laughs> secure messaging. All messages in secret chats use end-to-end encryption. This means only you and the, re- and the recipient can read those messages. Nobody can decipher or intercept them, including us here at Telegram, which turns out actually not to be true. Oh. Messages cannot be forwarded from secret chats. 
You can also order your messages to self-destruct in a set amount of time after they've been read by the recipient. Well, see now, this kind of thing really makes me uncomfortable because we know that's not true. It, I mean, a screen capture would preserve it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and they and, and they have open source software and and are inviting everybody to create clients. So any of those clients <laughs> could, be, could be modified right, right. so that it doesn't obey the you know destroy after reading you know command. So I mean, so you know, one of the things that's really wrong is in when you know in their secrecy assurances to tell people that you can send this in a way that it will be destroyed at the other end when th that's not something they can do they can't that's, guarantee that's, that because somebody exactly. else might be writing the client Precisely. and logging the entire chat to a plain text file right <laughs> on your phone right. right i mean so 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 they, I mean, and, and so they ought to, if, you know, and this is in their discussion of how secure everything is, they're telling you, oh, it's so secure, you can make it self-destruct. Well, yeah, okay, but, but that's you can't. That's not true, right. So then they say one last difference between secret and ordinary chats in Telegram is that secret chats are not stored in our cloud. This means you can only access messages in a secret chat on their device of origin. And I guess their device of destination, too. Otherwise, you'd be chatting with yourself, and that wouldn't really get you anywhere. Um, then they said, why not, or they asked themselves the question, why not just make all chats secret? Mm -hmm. and, they, and they answer, the idea behind Telegram is to bring something more secure to the masses who understand nothing about security and want none of it. <laughs> Apparently not. Oh, and that's what we're going to give them. That's what we're going to deliver. <laughs> okay. Being merely secure, they say, is not enough to achieve this. So not being merely secure. Being merely secure doesn't give by that to you, mm -hmm. buy, buy that for you, is not enough to achieve this. You also need to be fast, powerful, and user-friendly. Well, it is true that in order to do a secret chat, you have to exchange QR codes and stuff like Threema. So it's a little more to, complicated. Well, to do a, actually no, to to achieve three dots and absolutely provable authentication, you show your phone to each other and right. they exchange they exchange keys, right. and then from then on, you absolutely know. But for example, you can you get security by just by exchanging keys as long as you're sure who you exchanged it with. So that's all you need, and you can arrange that out of band, or you know, you know, take a picture of your QR code and paper mail it to someone. I mean, there's so there are you know there are ways to do this. Um, anyway, I'm I don't want to take up too much time here because there, I have more I want to say. First of all, um, a great analysis, and I've got links to all this in the show notes, by the way. So people who want more, there is more. Um, uh, uh, I guess I pronounce his name Joffroy Kupri. He blogged at unhandledexpression.com. Neat blog, by the way, that I just discovered by, by discovering his coverage of this. He came out early on and really took these guys to task. And I'm, I'm jumping all the way down to his fourth edit uh, and, and and in the blog, there he shows the interaction of the Telegram guys and himself as they go back and forth 
talking about this. And so for this is this is typical of when you just keep gluing stuff on. He he said in edit number four, someone found a flaw in the end-to-end secret chat. The key generated from the Diffie-Hellman exchange was being combined with a server-provided nonce, which we know is a one-time random value. And then he shows the equation where it's done. With that, the server can perform a man-in-the-middle attack on the connection and generate the same key for both peers by manipulating the nonce, thus defeating the key verification. Telegram has updated their protocol description and will fix the flaw. That nonce was introduced to fix random number generator <laughs> issues on mobile devices. On mobile devices. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, Since they so, can't be trusted, we'll do it for you. Exactly. And so, and here's the problem is uh, this is a perfect example of, you know, continuing to just add insult to injury. Uh, uh, Jeff Roy finishes, he says, to sum it up, avoid at all costs. There are no new ideas, and they add their flawed, homegrown mix of RSA, AES, IGE, that's the <laughs> the garble the garble block system plain sha1 integrity verification mac then encrypt and a custom key derivation function i mean it's just every cryptographer who has looked at this has just you know gotten the shakes and our friend moxie marlin spike uh, at thoughtcrime.org he also blogged uh, and and so one of the things on their site that I want to make sure our listeners get is they have created a contest. They have produced a $200,000 award to anyone who cracks their encryption. And they're using that to, you know, as like the, how much they believe in the integrity of their crypto. And several cryptographers have t- taken them to task because it turns out this is this is actually not very useful. Uh, Moxie's is very good. He said, he said his blog was was titled "A Crypto Challenge for the Telegram Developers," and he said earlier this week a company called Telegram announced a and he has in quotes secure mobile messaging product. How secure? In there were in the words of their fact, very secure. Oh well, okay, good. Curious to learn more, I went to look at the protocol. And <laughs> says Moxie speaking, and immediately had a number of questions and concerns, as would anyone. However, when pressed on technical details by others, they responded with the academic credentials of their developers. Well, they they have math PhDs instead of engaging in a more reasonable dialogue. They also declined my suggestions for collaboration of any kind. Most recently, they've chosen to respond to the concerns of the security community with dot, 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 a crypto cracking contest. And then Moxie wants, goes on to explain, and this is the point, the fallacy of the crypto contest. As always, these things are a bad sign. 
by framing the contest the way they have, the Telegram developers are leveraging a rigged challenge to trick the public. They wasted no time in updating their FAQ to point to the challenge as solid proof of their absolute security, even when it's essentially meaningless. So, Telegram developers, by way of a response, I have my own crypto-cracking contest for you. Below is a horrifically bad, secure, in quotes, protocol that wouldn't last a second in a real-world environment, but becomes unbreakable, in quotes, when presented in the exact same framework as they tell as the Telegram challenge. And he goes on. So I wanted to just make the point. I wanted to be, to be sure that I didn't miss making the point that just creating a huge award for someone finding a flaw isn't proof of anything. And anyone who's curious can can follow the links and and spend some more time here because it turn it turns out that the way they have established what they are what what they're trying to do, you know, doesn't reflect the lack of security. And then finally, my, my favorite quote here came, about this came from Taylor Hornby, uh, who we've talked to before. Uh, Diffuse Security is his site. His handle is Fire Xware. Uh, he's a, a frequent and valued contributor to GRC's forums and, you know, has been studying and auditing crypto stuff for quite some time. He wrote, he said, some problems, he wrote of Telegram, of course, some problems are immediately apparent. They use the broken SHA-1 hash function. They include a hash of the plain text message in the ciphertext. Essentially, they are trying to do Mac and encrypt, which is not secure. They should be doing encrypt then Mac with HMAC SHA-512, for example. He says, they rely on an obscure cipher mode called infinite garble extension. Then they have some really weird stuff about factoring 64-bit integers as part of the protocol. And they do not authenticate public keys. Taylor says, and this is there. Here's, here's my favorite quote. He says, if their protocol, and this is like a ways down, so anyone, again, can follow links if they're curious. If their protocol is secure, it is so by accident, not because of good design. <laughs> I love that. If it's secure, it's an accident, which is exactly right. I mean, the thing, you just look at it. it, it you know, anyone who understands crypto, just like, it's like, What? So, he says, Taylor says, they claim the protocol was designed by, quote, six ACM champions, unquote, and PhDs in math. Quite frankly, the protocol looks like it was made by an amateur. The tight coupling between primitives suggests the designer was not familiar with basic constructs like authenticated encryption, that you can find in any cryptography textbook. And he says, what should Telegram do? Telegram's crypto is bad and needs to be scrapped. I know it's tough to throw away all that work, but if they want to build a trustworthy product, it's what they need to do. Their protocol is already too complex to analyze 
let alone prove secure. And adding Band-Aid fixes is only going to make it worse. They should switch to an existing well-studied protocol like the one used by TextSecure. They need to bring in a real cryptographer to audit their design and design process. And they need to make sure the programmers they've hired are qualified to write crypto code. Most programmers are not. If Telegram wants, they can email me and I'll offer as much advice as I can. I think their hearts are in the right place. They just goofed on the crypto. Hmm. So there's my answer to everyone who was tweeting about, you know, should we go to Telegram? Uh, I would say probably not. And you like Threema in its place? Is I like Threema very much. Um, Taylor uh, referred to Text Secure, and that is also Moxie's product, just released yesterday. So uh, Moxie blogged about it yesterday. Uh, it's Android only at the moment, but they do intend to do an iPhone version. Um, and I would trust it implicitly because, you know, talk about guys who know crypto. Uh, Moxie at Whisper Systems certainly does. It's whispersystems.org is, uh, is Moxie's company. And they've been working on Text Secure for quite a while. Um, and it is just released in final form. Yep, there it is. On, and it's on free. The App Store. Yes, and, and it, it is free. It looks like it does most of what, not all, but most of what WhatsApp does. It does uh, images. Uh, you know, the thing of it, I think a lot of people are leaving WhatsApp more because they don't want to be a Facebook party to Facebook. But I mean, you know, WhatsApp is group chat, images, audio, video, and they're going to add uh, phone calls as well. And I would guess the majority of people who use WhatsApp don't expect or, or uh, think that it's particularly secure any more so than SMS. It's a replacement for SMS. Right. Uh, you know. But if you want it secure, you think this this is the one to get. I'm going to install it right now. I have to say yeah, I stopped I, using Threema because, A, nobody uses it. Right. <laughs> which is, frankly, an issue. You, yeah. <laughs> if you can't communicate with other people, it doesn't matter. And yeah. because it is kind of complicated to uh, to get to establish three dots. You have to meet them in person and all that. We never did yeah, that, I, did we? We never – you were going to exchange your Threema with us and we oh, forgot. Oh, you're right. When I was up there, I, I mean, I, I could just stick it in front of the camera right now. I did it. Our, yeah, I did that once. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I I like Threema because it feels very clean, and I, I we know it's very secure. So if you if your mode of operation is such that you have like, well, for example, I got a bunch of people I hang out with at Starbucks, and if I wanted, if I had any need for secure texting among them, and I don't, but if I did, you know, we just have a little threema party where we all right, you know right. aim our phones at each other, and then we've we've in that moment we have verified each other's identity and exchanged through that mechanism keys for each other that only exist. And the, I mean the, and the gear again, absolutely secure end to end encryption simply means that you give each other your public key. End of story. Right. That's it. Right. That's all it takes. Right. And then because if you have somebody's public key, you simply you you generate you need a good random number generator we uh, we understand that you generate a good random number you use that as your symmetric key to encrypt the message and you use another random number to to authenticate the message if you if you want to do that and that's a good good idea there are some block modes the one that i'm using for squirrel is authenticated encryption it's ocb that's phil rogaway's 
uh, mode, which, which is offset code book, which does both. And by the way, that's, you know, the Telegram people should, if they do use that, they wouldn't have had any of these problems. Um, but the point is, then you you use the recipients, the intended recipients public key to encrypt this symmetric key, which you arrived at randomly, and you send it to them. Only they can, only they have the matching private key. So they use that to decrypt the symmetric key, and then they use that to decrypt the message. I mean, it's like, it's it's done. This is solved. <laughs> this is not hard. It's, it is very straightforward, yeah. And if you want to do a group chat, then you just, you, you, you take the main message and you successively encrypt it with different symmetric keys, which you successively encrypt with all the members of the group chat's public key. That you send off, and all they do is they, they use their private key to decrypt the one that they're able to. And then, so, I mean, group chat is not hard. It's like, this is not, it's like, it's a mystery to me what, 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 why anyone would invent something so screwy in this day and age. But Where, where are these Telegram uh, people from? I think they're Russian uh, because I did see something that said, would you like to do encryption in Russia or in Switzerland? Mm. Meaning that, you know, Threema is Swiss. Mm. Uh, I might uh, say yeah. something about it. They get money from Putin. They actually well, do, do, do they have money from uh, a, a, is it Pavel Durov, who's the uh, investor in this. We absolutely he's, a, he's an interesting guy. We'd absolutely know that unless you explicitly ask for end-to-end -end encryption, it is not secure. Right. You are you are you have a secure connection to their server, then they decrypt it, so it's in plain text for and they and they uh, they acknowledge that if you dig around in there enough, they go, yeah, but you know, <clears throat> we're, well, we're a good guy. To me, it's a little ironic that people who are fleeing WhatsApp because they don't like Facebook are are going to Telegram because it's funded by. Uh, the guy that uh, Rene Ritchie calls the Mark Zuckerberg, or not, not Rene Ritchie, Mark Millian calls the Mark Zuckerberg of Russia, Pavel Dorov, uh, who is a uh, probably one of the richest uh, guys in uh, in Russia, and a uh, very interesting fellow, kind of secretive. So, yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's that's who's running. That's who's behind the Telegram. So, text secure, Android only at the moment. I owe, uh, iPhone coming or Threema if you just want something that's like done, solved, and you want really secure messaging between people you know who will also install Threema. As you said, Leo, it is, you know, it requires itself at the other end. And uh, and we should mention that Mark Moxie also has a, a voice app called Redphone, which we've mentioned before. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Good stuff, all. Um, I, before I forget, I did want to mention I ran across a note just this morning, actually, the 25th of February. Uh, uh, the subject line caught my eye. He said, Spinrite violates the laws of physics. And, of course, Spinrite is what pays all of my bills and lets me be here for the podcast every week. This is Nathan uh, Hubner in Marion, Iowa. And he said, my brother's laptop was very slow when booting. And while being used, the hard drive was suspected as being bad. Norton Ghost tried to clone it and failed. It was not pretty. I ran Spinrite at level two and was then able to clone it to another drive. It cloned over perfectly and no bits were lost. After the new drive was installed and running, 
I opened up the bad drive to look inside. Inside were tiny metal shavings. <laughs> <laughs> that's not good. Oh, baby. I think that's not good. That's never a good sign. From what I understand, if a piece of dust goes between the head and the platter, it's game over for the drive. Somehow, Spinrite was able to fix the drive just long enough to clone it. Spinrite has also fixed my Intel X25 Extreme 64 gigabyte SSD. It was showing some sector access times over 600 milliseconds. Now they're gone. Spinrite user, oh, he's a Spinrite user and Security Now listener since episode one, Nathan Hubener, Marion, Iowa. Thank you very much, Nathan, for, for sharing your success. Hey. Uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, there's lots more, including uh, I want to get Steve's take on the yes, Comcast yes, Netflix yes, deal. Yes. Um, I've read conflicting re- accounts. Um, in fact, uh, there's a guy who uh, wrote an article on, um, uh, I think it's a streaming video blog, who says the media got it all wrong. So I want to hear what you, you have to say. And as a cogent customer, you have something to say, I think. Before we do that, though, let's talk about one thing we know for sure. Uh, whether you uh, think the Comcast-Netflix deal was good or bad, no one trusts Comcast or any other ISP in America. After the six strikes rule, I think it's time to protect yourself, your privacy, against people who are sitting in an open access spot with you or your Internet service provider who sees everything that you do. One way to do that is with ProXPN. ProXPN operates a open source v- open vpn server so you know what they're doing is good and real steve's vetted it and their servers live not only in dallas and seattle los angeles and new york but in london london amsterdam and singapore that means you emerge on the public internet from any one of those cities eliminating geographic restrictions protecting your privacy against your cuckoo isp whoever that may be uh, you don't have to, you know, you deserve a little bit of privacy on the Internet. And OpenVPN is a great way to do it. ProXPN is the OpenVPN provider we recommend. You can read all about it if you go to ProXPN.com slash twit. And uh, you can read about how it works. You can actually go there and download their mobile apps. This is nice. Uh, their Android and iOS apps add open vpn capability to your smartphone as well that's really great they have a free version but this is you know what i'm going to show you a way that's as good as free you can try the pro version of pro xpm a premium account normally it's ten dollars a month 75 bucks a year with a very nice 20 percent off discount for the life of your account that makes it less than five bucks a month on the yearly plan and you can try it free for seven days and cancel anytime in those first seven days for a full refund. ProXPN does accept payment through Visa, PayPal, and Bitcoin. I like that. Uh, here's the deal. Try it right now. Visit ProXPN.com slash twit. Use our offer code SN20 and let us know what you think. ProXPN.com slash twit. Offer code SN20. And you'll save 20% off for the life of your account. It's a very, very good deal. Uh, And we thank them so much for their support. We are talking about security with Steve Gibson, the Security Now program, as always. Now at its new time, Tuesdays, 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern, 2100 UTC. Comcast, Netflix. Yeah. Tell me. So... 
Okay, so it's complicated. Yeah. Which is yeah. what makes it interesting. Yeah. Which is what makes I think what's what makes it interesting. Um we've discussed in years gone by the nature of peering agreements with uh, major top tier bandwidth carriers. You know, Comcast, uh Level 3, Cogent, um AT&T, Sprint. You know, these are all, you know, big bandwidth carriers. And the idea with of course with the internet is they all have customers. So the customers connect to their networks. But the customers may want material in their network or they want something else, you know, somewhere else on the internet on somebody else's network. That is, for example, Netflix is a customer of Cogent. Uh, Cogent provides very affordable bandwidth. And and Netflix says, hey, you know, we're going to, you know, Co- Cogent is the major provider that connects Netflix to the Internet. And so, but but so if you were a, if, if well, and for example, I'm also a Cogent customer. Cogent supplies my bandwidth. So if I were to use Netflix then it stays in the family. You know, it's the bandwidth stays within Cogent. It goes through, through, through a few Cogent routers from me on Cogent's network to Netflix on Cogent's network, and that's there, all there is to it. But what about somebody who wants Netflix on Cogent who's a Comcast customer? Well, in that case, the, the traffic needs to cross the boundary between those domains, So, you know, these top-level providers have these huge network domains of their own interconnected routers, and they, they, and so that by itself is useful unless, as is mostly the case, you want to go somewhere else. And so they have to interconnect. And, And so this is the process known as peering, where they peer with each other, that is, they regard each other as equals. And so these large domains created by these top-tier providers interconnect with each other at so-called peering points all over the world. And, and that's how the traffic moves. Sometimes it might cross through a provider on its way to another. So, you know, that can also happen. But the but the but the idea is that between any two providers, they just agreed that they're going to exchange traffic because each is receiving value from the other. Well, and bits from the other, and and that's one thing that I think is unusual in this situation because peer implies equals, and that it's a two way street, and a lot of peering agreements are. A mutual uh, because I give you b- bandwidth, you know, I give you data and you give me data and we, we agree to peer. But what Comcast is saying, well, it's, you know, Netflix is fire hosing data into our network. It's a one-way peering well, agreement. So, okay, so the reason that's a problem is that w- one way to think of it is that any given ISP has retail users that are like you know, all the end users. Us. And 
Yes, and we pay retail prices for bandwidth, but they also host wholesale bandwidth users like Netflix or like Google or you know like like you know any major bandwidth user. They're buying bandwidth at wholesale prices. So, so in a peering relationship, as long as you've got sort of an even amount of bandwidth, this is why the bandwidth equality thing comes in, is it, when you think about it, for example, if, if all of the retail customers for Netflix were over in, on Comcast's side and, and, and the wholesale provider was over on Cogent's side, well, then, then Cogent is then the 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 disparity in who's making revenue from the traffic ah, becomes a problem, right? Um, and what, so what you want is you want it to be about equal. And in fact, when I signed, up, I'll never forget when I signed up for level three, which is a, one of the top tier providers, and my servers, GRC servers, are in a level three data center. One of the things they asked me was, what's the ratio between inbound and outbound traffic? Mm. And I was like, oh, because oh, I knew that like they didn't want it to be too unbalanced. You know, they're all thinking about keeping their peering relationships relatively balanced. But the fact is, any web server is, is sending out much more traffic than it's taking in. And so I said, uh, about 10 to 1. And they said, okay. You know, they just didn't they want to live be, with that. Yeah, didn't want it to be zero, 10 to 0 right. or, you know, or, right. or, you know, 1 to 10,000 or something. Right. Right. So they wanted to generally kind of keep it even. So, so what, what happened? So, so here's, here, here we have this dilemma with Netflix. Understand how the scale of Netflix in the evening. In North America now, Netflix accounts for 32% of downstream traffic on the Internet. One-third of the traffic flowing on the Internet in the evening is Netflix. Right. So, I mean, it is, it is huge. Now, so what this does is this creates a massive imbalance in these peering agreements because all of these companies with end users they're having to carry all of this traffic from Netflix and Netflix is over here in 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 the cogent domain so all of this has to cross peering points which upsets this the sort of the 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 long-term mutual agreement of balance of of over you know like balance of of peering agreements um now what net i mean and netflix understands this this is not news to anyone and netflix has been solving the problem with a program they call open connect what open connect does is it moves netflix servers into the domain this networking domain of the major providers. And think about it. It solves the problem. So, for example, if if that if Netflix didn't have servers in in 
for example, let's use someone where they do. Uh, a good um, example would be a Google Fiber. If you have Google Fiber, they're a member of the Open Connect CDN. Per perfect, exactly. So, but think about it. If if um, if they, okay. So right now, for as, example, as are by the way, Cablevision, Virgin, Bell Canada, British Telecom, Clearwire, GVT, Telus. In fact, almost everybody, except Comcast. Actually, Comcast and Verizon, and Verizon. are the two. Yep. Yes. So think. So if Verizon refuses to, uh, by the way, this is a free program, Open Connect. Verizon refuses. That means th that if there's a thousand people in Verizon all wanting to watch the same episode of House of Cards, then there's a thousand streams coming across that boundary between Cogent and Verizon of the same content. It's stupid, but that's the way it is now because Comcast and Verizon refuse to participate in Open Connect. What Open Connect does is, is, is Netflix puts servers over in Verizon, and it completely solves the problem. It doesn't cross now the Internet at all. It's sitting in Verizon's operate, network's operations center. Exactly. So though now those thousand users, first of all, it's better for them. They're, they've got, you know, because the source of the content is right next to them networking-wise. They're going to get much better streaming performance than if it has to come from further away. And what has been happening is due to this fight between Comcast and Verizon and Cogent, Cogent being the, the one they're fighting with because that's Netflix's provider, is routinely now in the evenings, the connections, those peering points have gone past saturation. And we've, we've talked about the way routers operate and how routers have buffers. And the problem is there is more traffic trying to go through the wire than the wire can contain. So the buffers buffer a little bit on, in the hope that the, the, the bandwidth will free up and they'll be able to still get the packets through. If not, the packets fall off the end of the buffer. There's no more buffer space for them, and they're just lost. And that causes stuttering and problems, and not as much necessarily for Netflix because the protocol buffers ahead and it, you know, it manages to deal with dropped packets, but many other services are still trying to use the internet, even though, uh, you know, a third of the country is, is watching Netflix. Everybody else would still like to do web surfing and, 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 and other things. Those other services are having problems at these peak times if, if the traffic needs to cross this peering boundary. And so, so what, and, and Cogent has refused to pay for this imbalance. They've, they've flatly refused. And Netflix, and so what brought why, this into Why the isn't news? Cogent the bad guy here? Um, I'm not sure that they're not. Isn't and it pretty, I can't really... it's kind of traditional that you might uh, uh, pay for this, right? Actually, what's traditional is that that you don't. It's mutual. That, it's an open. It's yeah. a it's a peering. Yes. Yeah. Th that it is regarded as mutually beneficial. The the idea being that that Cogent has servers that that Verizon and Comcast's customers want to get to, namely Netflix. And so, so, so the so 
and and remember when we had the fight? Uh, it, it was uh, CBS was dropped by who was it? Uh, Directv Dur- or Dish or was it a satellite uh, it was, network? Oh, you're talking about? Um, yeah, it wasn't a satellite. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. yeah. Huh? It was Cablevision, I think. Yeah. Cablevision, yes, yeah. where they weren't. It was the big fight that you know that that people were. And in fact, Cablevision, as a consequence of that, lost time, a huge. It was Time Warner. Chunk. Sorry, oh, Time Warner. Yeah, yeah. Uh, lost. A, yeah, right. Time Warner would uh, wouldn't agree to pay right, right. Um, what what CBS felt their content was worth. So, you know, I guess bottom line is we're we're gonna have battles uh, as we sort of sort all this out. I don't understand why Comcast and Verizon aren't willing to accept Netflix's solution, which is to put Netflix servers in their networks. I think it's because they're insisting on being on being paid by Netflix for, you know, in, essentially to be they're They're saying Netflix is benefiting from their carriage of customers you know their own customers who want to watch their content and Netflix should pay. The problem is that's that's the way the whole internet works. The whole internet is free services that are offered or you 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 know you pay for services. And I guess maybe that's the difference is that Netflix is making money, you know, it's a subscription service and is resulting in huge amounts of bandwidth um, within those networks, and so it may be that Comcast isn't so concerned about the peering relationship. They they just want money. There's and money they're saying, changing hands here. We want our our cut of it. Yeah. There's also the issue of SLAs of service level agreements. Uh, Netflix, apparently, Netflix Open Connect doesn't uh, provide that, whereas a deal with Cogent might. There's also the issue of that com- peering and commercial interconnects are somewhat different. You know, appearing is that kind of utopian hippie thing. We'll just connect. And, <laughs> and but there are commercial interconnect relationships that are paid relationships. You know, we're gonna. Uh, it's very complicated. It um, is. Uh, Dan Rayburn, who is a, an analyst at Frost and Sullivan, has a blog and a magazine called Streaming Media, and uh, he says the media is getting this very wrong, and it has nothing to do with net neutrality. We're gonna have him on uh, this week in Google tomorrow and i am going to try to get somebody who understands all of this stuff as well i'm thinking jay adelson who uh, ran revision three for a long time but was a principal at uh, equinix and is an expert on this because he 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 provided these kinds of services because i think this is complicated and i think we need to understand do you think that what comcast is doing demanding money of netflix and apparently of cogent and verizon is doing the same yeah, Verizon and Cogent are fighting, yeah. and it's the Verizon-Cogent peering points which are overloading, and Cogent is upset because they say Verizon has equipment already installed, and they routers that are dark. They will not turn them on. Of not. All they have to do is turn them on, and there won't, there won't be this problem. But Verizon wants there to be a problem right. in order to force... And that's... Uh, that's my question. Netflix themselves, and they've been spinning this that it's not a bad thing, but of course they want to keep Comcast happy. That's access to a, more than 30 million of their customers. Um, Netflix uh, uh, 
uh, what was I going to say? I forgot now. It's <laughs> <laughs> so complicated. I can't even. Oh, Netflix said that since October, bandwidth to Comcast has dropped 20 per throughput to Comcast has dropped 27 percent. Now, it could be that their uh, viewership has gone up 27% amongst Comcast customers, but it seems more likely to me that Comcast is turning a knob. Yeah. Right? And we've seen evidence that Comcast is throttling Netflix. Well, and remember the other problem here is that some of these major providers have their own streaming services. Comcast has it's Xfinity. That's right. Stream, stream. Yep, picks. and Verizon's got Redbox That's right. too, or something yep. like that. Yep. So, so here's a problem: is that they they would rather that customers were upset with Netflix and saw, oh look, the you know Verizon's own service doesn't have stuttering problems. Right. Maybe I'll switch to that. And so this is where the net neutrality side comes in. It's like, wait a minute. So Verizon is essentially causing problems for the competing media supplier. Well, that's what I'm assuming. <laughs> but, but then I don't I fully understand how all these paid interconnects and, and peering arrangements typically work. Um, and... Uh, so it's 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 obviously uh, above my pay grade, but I thank you well, for helping uh, understand it. Do you think that what's going on is? Uh, I mean, it's interesting. This all happened after the Supreme Court said that the FCC cannot, yeah, uh, impose net neutrality. I, I guess here's the question for tomorrow: If you can think to ask it, why won't Comcast and Verizon? allow Netflix's Open Connect Why solution. Are, yeah, that's exactly the question I want. Why are they not using Open Connect? Everybody else is, right. and it has then been a non-problem. Because then you move one copy of the movie over into Comcast, and it serves as many copies as people want. I mean, that seems like it seems like a done deal. So what's the problem? Why is that not okay for those two? And is it anything more than profit? And my God... We're in trouble if with if this merger goes through with Comcast and Time Warner. It's like, oh, oh, oh. you know, they've got enough power now. Well, we're going to try to cut through this a little bit too tomorrow. So I, I think there's, I I I fear that I uh, in my hatred, my 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 red burning fury against Comcast have perhaps uh, not uh, reported this accurately. So I want to make sure that we are fair in how we report this. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I will definitely watch yeah, tomorrow's yeah. This Week in Google. Yeah. Sounds great. Good, good. Okay, so I don't know, I don't have a lot to say about Mt. Gox because this is sort of, we're all sort of in a wait-and-see pattern, but apparently they're dead. Um, what's, what's happened is that there's something called the Crisis Strategy Draft document has been floating around within the the Bitcoin forums, and this is something from Mt. Gox that got loose. If you go to Mt. Gox, mtgox.com right now. Nothing there, baby. There's nothing. It says, Dear Mt. Gox customers, in the event of recent news reports and the potential repercussions on Mt. Gox's operations and the market, a decision was taken to close all transactions for the time being yeah. in order to protect the site and our users. You will be closely monitoring the situation and will react accordingly. Best regards, Mount Gox team. Now, what we also hear is their claim 
that, and this is what's hard to understand, they say that the company had lost $744,408 bitcoins in a theft that had gone unnoticed for years. Now, how is that possible? I mean, <laughs> nearly three quarters of a million bitcoins, that's 6% of the entire current outstanding 12.4 wow. million bitcoins that are currently minted and in circulation. So it's like, okay, I, I just, you know, how can, I mean, this is, it's a computer. I mean, it, it, is, it, it is itself the definition of an automated ledger. So how do you have 744,408 bitcoins that were stolen years ago that you didn't notice? I, just, I well, don't understand And that there at are all. a great number of people who have Bitcoins inside Mt. Gox. Yes. And, and uh, the they may is... never see those again. I mean, we don't. Yes. It's, it, Mt. Gox may declare bankruptcy. We're not sure what's going to happen. It's a Japanese company. The Japanese regulators have declined to get involved at all. Yes. A, 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 in a statement from some of the CEOs of the alternative and, and competing exchanges, called it a tragic violation of the trust of users of Mt. Gox, uh, resulting from one company's abhorrent actions. And they're, they're saying does not reflect the resilience or value of Bitcoin and the digital currency industry. I beg to differ, my friend. <laughs> yeah. Now, I, I will say, though, in poking around, I went to blockchain.info. And, my God, that's fascinating. Blockchain.info and you look at it, it's like the most recent transactions. And then they've got like a little breakdown over there on the right, in the lower right, where it's like the most, no, no, the large, the most recent large ones or the most These recent. These are huge. People are exchanging thousands of Bitcoin. Here's an, a 10,000 Bitcoin transaction. Huge. And, and Leo, yes. And Leo, as I'm, as I'm browsing around in here through these transactions, I'm thinking stuff is going on. Yeah. I mean, some, something is happening. And you just have to think that, you know, governments are looking at this, scratching their head going, okay, I mean, something is happening here. Something is going on. I mean, it really is alive and functioning, even though it's like, you know, a roller coaster ride. It's like stuff's happening. It's just fascinating so to me. So I always used to go to Mt. Gox just to see what a Bitcoin is worth. What it, What do we, <laughs> where do I go now? Uh, it, it got pushed down below $500 for the first time. And I mean, yeah. just today, in the wake of this Mt. Gox collapse, Bitcoin finally, you know, dropped from its heights in the, at 1200 down into sub-500. So uh, why would anyone put Bitcoins in Mt. Gox? It's not a bank. You can have your own Bitcoin wallet. Yes. And as I've, you know, people have all been asking me, where are your 50 Bitcoins, Steve? And I just said, they're offline. You know, they, they, they're not in any computer they're you know they're in a wallet stored on a thumb drive that is sitting in a drawer i mean it's just like no one should you know i mean the the only thing you would do is you would move them into mount, mount gox in order to liquidate them as part of and, a liquidation right yes exactly you just don't want to have them sitting there stored there i mean convenience is the only reason you would do it and right. of course with convenience as we always know comes a, a problem with security so it does seem to have stabilized a little bit. It was down to like a hundred bucks, but I think it's at now five hundred nine dollars 
uh, per Bitcoin. Yeah, I, I mean, my sense is we're in early days. The, 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 there's other news. There's something called second market, I think they are, that are they're talking to major regulated U.S. banks because banks are beginning to evidence some interest in participating in Bitcoins. There were some studies that came out saying, yeah, you know, there may be something to this. So I, I just, you know, I just think it's it's interesting as a strange phenomenon right. <laughs> that we're all living through right now. Do uh, so. What do you recommend if some you do? I guess do what Steve does: keep your Bitcoin in an offline thumb drive somewhere. It's just bits, <laughs> right? Yep. I would <laughs> I would not leave them sitting anywhere no. because you know you need to have control of them, and this is a currency that you know allows you to have control. You can have your money in a bank. Um, it's the reason, you know, in the U.S. we have the FDIC that that protects accounts up to one hundred and fifty thousand um, dollars, so that you're safe with your money being there. But there's nothing like that for Bitcoin. So don't leave them sitting in an exchange. Pull them out back into your own wallet. Yeah. Uh, and and only you know and only uh, expose as much of your of your Bitcoinage as you feel. Uh, secure doing you know so you still have faith in bitcoin you're you're not giving up on bitcoin um i guess i have no horse in the race i've got 50 bitcoins you I'm have just a gonna... horse in the race my friend that was yeah that was worth 50 grand a little while ago now it's worth yeah. half that <laughs> yeah i don't care yeah i mean i i didn't do anything to earn them they just that's were right. spontaneously just, right. appeared in my computer it's yeah. so it's like so it, it, it i mean i guess i i have i'm interested because i own some right um but overall my sense is virtual currency is real yeah um the question is what will its future be relative to governments governments are the big unknown and it's just difficult to understand how governments are going to allow this to remain lawful for long you know i mean they've been outlawed in russia now bitcoin has right, right. i also think it's uh, i would discourage people from speculating in bitcoin because it does seem like it's somewhat risky at this point oh it's not for the faint of heart yeah. no yeah so stats on admin or non-admin everybody knows that an administrative account is dangerous relative to a standard user account. I'm talking about Windows now. You know, all I mean for for since the dawn of time it's been understood that the root user in in Unix and then Linux is super powerful and that you should not run as root. You should you should run as a non-root user so that if something happens the OS will will prevent you from doing things. You or a surrogate running in your account behind your back prevent you from doing dangerous things. Windows has that concept too. But it's lax about enforcing it because it's inconvenient. And many people run as admin and they just try to be careful. Many other people who have people that care about them have set them up as a standard user so that they are more safe. The question is, how much more? A research company, Avecto, A-V-E-C-T-O, did an analysis of last year's Patch Tuesday vulnerabilities. They titled it Mitigating Risk by Removing User Privileges. 
And they said, the summary is, analysis of Microsoft security bulletins from 2013 highlights that 92% of critical vulnerabilities would be mitigated by removing admin rights. Wow. 92%. Holy cow. See, I thought that user privilege escalation meant that you, even if you were operating as admin, you would have to allow escalation to do admin-like things. Um, it turns out that's, I mean, that's a compromise Microsoft made, but it bad stuff can still be done behind your back. Got it. What you want is, is you want to go maybe it's to poorly the, implemented. You want to go to the well. It, it's again, nobody really wants the 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 lack of convenience of right. just being able to do what you want to do on your computer. Right. The problem is the lesson we learn is that unfortunately, stuff can be done on your behalf without your knowledge. Mm -hmm. So with your permissions, yes, using your so, permissions. So. So October last October 2013, we it, it passed by us and I we didn't take note of it, so I want to. That was the tenth anniversary of Microsoft's auto update system. Ten years, wow. Ten years. And you know, before the podcast began, uh by a year or two, that was in place. And of course, very controversial at the time. People were like, I don't want Microsoft automatically updating my system because it used to be, you know, we would have to go get those updates and install them ourselves or they would issue, be issued as service packs, not just this continuous dribbling dribble into our machines. But it's been 10 years. So here's the breakdown. During that uh, year, 2013, of critical ratings. So there were 147 vulnerabilities published during 2013 with critical rating. 92, as I said, were mitigated, blocked, by, re by removing admin rights. Nine, sorry, not, 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 I'm sorry, not 92. 92% were blocked by removing administrator, administrator rights. 96% of critical vulnerabilities affecting the Windows operating system. So nearly all, 96% of those vulnerabilities which affected win the Windows OS were mitigated by removing admin rights. 100% of the vulnerabilities affecting IE were mitigated by removing admin rights. Wow. One hundred percent. All you had to do is switch to a standard user that, you know, in, in the in the control panel under, you know, Windows users, you have a choice and be an admin user or a standard user. And unfortunately, by default, when you set Windows up, you're you're an admin user. That's what you get. So you need to create another user. You set that up as a standard user. And that's the one you use. And then when you need to do something that that you're being blocked by, you need to enter the admin user's password. That's the way to be safe. Not even UAC gives you this level of safety. You need to be a standard user and then provide the admin password when you need to switch into the admin account, essentially. Um 
91% of vulnerabilities affecting Microsoft Office would be blocked by um, removing admin rights. And 100% all of the critical remote code execution vulnerabilities and 80% of critical information disclosure vulnerabilities mitigated by removing admin rights. So the, le- the takeaway here is this is really important. If you simply stop being an admin, um, if history is any lesson, you're way safer. You are completely safe based on history from IE ex- exploits. And those are the big, that's the big way things get in is through Internet Explorer, through web browsing. And critical remote code execution is is also how this stuff happens, 100% safe if you're not an admin. So, you know, we got 41 days to go with XP. Um, certainly XP users ought to seriously consider no longer running as an, as an administrator, just run as a standard user and use admin account only when you really know you need to. You, you think that it, would make a difference? Um, I think it would really make a difference. Yeah. So maybe I mean, and you still want to give up XP, but... I really think... I mean, I'm going to be very reluctant because of I the know. huge investment I have. I yeah, mean, I just... Yeah. The idea of rebuilding this is just makes me shudder. On the other hand, it does create, you know, an opportunity to, you know, get rid of... You know, it's like, like moving to a new home and look at all the things you think, well, do I really need this? Uh, I don't think so. We'll, yeah. we'll do a little spring cleaning in the, in the process. Um, I did want to mention that just yesterday... There was news of YouTube distributing ad-based malware. Uh, Google is on the job now figuring out how this has happened. But, you know, YouTube is so popular that it receives in a month's time a billion unique visitors spending about six billion hours on every month on YouTube. It turns out that their in-stream ads we're re- redirecting users to malicious websites and hosting the Sticks exploit kit, which was leveraging a more than year old known Java, not JavaScript, Java vulnerability to infect users' computers with the um, Kaphaw banking trojan. Um, and so uh, the, research- the researchers who discovered this said, we don't yet know the exact bypass the attackers used to evade Google's internal advertisement security checks. Google has informed us that they're conducting a full investigation of this abuse and will take appropriate measures. So that's good. Now, I tweeted this immediately after watching it last week, and I wanted to bring it to the attention of our listeners who aren't following me in Twitter or may have missed it. Um, this was posted late last year. Uh, oh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, longer ago than that. I've got October 23rd, 2012. Um, but this was an interview of Steve Jobs, which was excerpted from, and the excerpt was used, I think it was in Robert Cringley's Heroes of Silicon Valley. I don't remember now. Um, but... But he posted um, – essentially, the entire interview was believed to be lost. 
And believe it or not, a VHS tape copy was was seven years later found in someone's garage. And so I got a copy when I saw it. Maybe it was that it just came out on disc. Anyway, I'm, I'm not sure why it just crossed my radar recently. But so it's called Steve Jobs, The Lost Interview. It is available from YouTube for a few dollars, I think maybe $4. You can buy the disc. Um, it's on iTunes also. I really recommend it. This was a this was Steve Jobs in 2005, relatively recently chastened from having been booted out of Apple by John Scully. What is significant to me is this is not the typical Steve Jobs ego that we all know and have seen interviewed and talking. And I was really surprised by the wisdom in here. I mean, by, by what Steve understood and was able to articulate about the way groups operate and the way you produce excellent products. I mean, I, frankly, I found a lot of my own philosophy of the way things are done right in what he said. Anyway, I just, it was a fabulous um, uh, piece of work and I, I, I recommend it without, without reservation. The reason, I, I, I've I, seen it too, the reason for the date confusion is it was released theatrically for a brief period of time uh, in 2012. Ah, okay. Yeah. And uh, but it's but it's nice you can get this now uh, on YouTube and and watch it yourself. Anyway, I really 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 enjoyed it. And Leo, I don't know if I picked up on this from from listening to one of um, your mentions somewhere, but there is an app called Rails for iOS for the tablet, and oh my god, it I think, it I is. Think we re- I think it was an app Mac Break Weekly pick perhaps. Ah, uh, it is. Just uh, yeah. too fun. I'm. I'm <laughs> finally my my addiction has waned a little bit. I think it's two ninety nine. I created a Bitly shortcut because sometimes I'm very unimpressed with uh, you know the App Store's search engine. Oh, you can't it's find just, anything. It's awful. So this is Bitly. B i t dot l y slash s g rails r a i l s. And I, what I did was I put out a warning. Do not get this. Because it will just take you over. It, really? You will not be able to stop playing with it. It is just too fun. So whatever you do, do not get Rails. <laughs> iPhone or iPad? Uh, not iPhone because it's too small. iPad only. S-G-R-A-I-L-S is the extension on bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash S-G Rails. And oh my goodness, it is... Uh, it's just, for me, it's a perfect puzzle because you... Oh, it's railroad uh, it's, tracks. That's nice. Yes. And, and you, you uh, the, the stations are emitting trains periodically, and you have to quickly design a, a track system which is capable of routing the trains among the stations without them colliding. And it, it's, just, it's just wonderful. So... Uh, it's it's well regarded, well rated. I gave it five stars, three bucks, uh, th- three dollars, 
and boy, it's the best three dollars you could spend. I, if if you just want something, I'm not. A, I don't waste time playing with my tablet. I've got too much going on. But you know, <laughs> yeah, I, I just one. I stopped reading. I stopped reading in order to to spend some time with this thing. It's just really fun. This is how Steve's mind works. Is like these rails. Uh, and speaking of which, just late last night, I finished the user interface walkthrough of Squirrel's Create New Identity. Yay. Um, that's what I've been working on. I, I, I created the operation page. It's grc.com slash sqrl slash operation. Or as I mentioned, the, the, the bit.ly URL I created was bit.ly slash sg... I'm sorry, sqrl ui. Squirrel UI, SQRL UI. Um, and if anyone is curious, it is a, a nice way of looking at how Squirrel operates from the user's angle. As I, it's funny, too, because this has been three weeks. And when I looked back at when I created the page was January 30th, and I first put it public on February 2nd. And so here we are a little more than 21 days later, and I thought three weeks. How did I spend three weeks on this? But then I remember. But then I remembered that that it's because as I was being forced to turn the technology into a user experience, I realized, oh crap, this is too complicated. And I went back and was was making some substantial revisions to the technology as in order to make the user interface work the way it should, losing nothing and, in fact, improving the security overall in the meantime um, and and sort of like sort of making them agree. And so anyway, I'm I'm it, it, it forced some changes. That's done now. The entire process of creating a new identity in Squirrel is laid out um, and I'm not sure what part of it I'm going to do next, but I'm going to continue. I'm going to basically finish now with the other bits of the UI uh, and then start writing code. So if anyone's curious, uh, grc.com, actually, you can just find it. It's in the squirrel pages. It's page number six from the big block of links at the bottom. Uh, and we're, you know, making progress, working as fast as I can, getting squirrel done for everybody. <laughs> Stop playing rails, Steve. <laughs> now you got me hooked. <laughs> oh, believe me, if you start, you can't stop. Somebody, this is worse. This is worse than potato chips. Somebody said three dollars is not the true cost of the program. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yes, indeed. How fun. Oh well. Oh well. It's kind of cool too. I mean, the uh, it looks like a pretty uh, sweet little oh little it's, program. It's, you know? It yeah. is. So yeah, so if you uh, there, there's a tutorial that explains it, and yeah. yep, go to new game and then t tap tutorial, yeah, yeah. and because uh, that's the first one that you'll get. And the yeah. idea is you you know you you draw the completion of the rail, but there's actually a, hu a huge network of rails that you can and and oh, it's 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 of course tracks and switches. So you're having to like flip the switches, but you get to design how the you know how the stations are interconnected, and then and, and and as you were drawing it right there, you could see lit up behind you yeah. was the you know or was all the possibilities of where you could draw a track. Oh my! Oh, it's just and and, and <laughs> a couple times I've just done some inspired layouts. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> it really is fun. Drawing. It really is fun. Oh, you got me. You got me, Steve. 
Uh, we do this show, well, maybe we won't be back next week. <laughs> no, we do this show every Tuesday, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, 1900 UTC. Join us Tuesdays, I'm sorry, 1 p.m., not 11 a.m., 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern, and uh, that would be 2100 UTC, right after Mac Break Weekly, right before, before you buy. And uh, if you want to watch live, do. But if you don't, if you can't, we've got on-demand versions. Now, Steve does some 16-kilobit audio versions for people with, what does your shirt say? Science. What does that say? Science. It's gotten us this far. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) You leaned back. It's the first time I've seen you get the text. You had to show us that science. It's gotten us this far. Um, I have, I have, I have one that I like. It's my cranky guy shirt. It just says no. <laughs> yes, that's that, no. You, and then you have the other one that says no. I will not fix your computer. So you're really you're right. you're covered this with the, those three shirts. This is more general, just because no. it's like you know oh, no your faucet's everything. dripping. Your yeah, you know no yeah. no so forth. No, no 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 not gonna do it. Um, Steve has 16 kilobit versions of the audio. He has transcripts there. It's uh, all at grc.com. That's his site, Gibson Research Corporation. Uh, while you're there, you should check out everything else Steve's got going on. I mean, he ha- oh, I'm sorry. i got to change the railroad signal. Wait for the train to enter the station. Okay, go ahead. Enter this. Oh, now it's going back the other way. That's okay. It'll come. It'll come back it'll out. Come back? If, okay. if, 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 if it hits a spot where the switch is wrong, there's also some little red and green signals you're able to turn on and off. Uh huh. Yeah, that's what happened. Is I accidentally turned that signal, and, uh, and then the train could. Oh, oh, don't no. Oh, 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 goodness! I've made all sorts of forget it. I forget I. Oh. This is kind yeah. Of, yeah. You're gonna have too much fun. <laughs> we have audio and video on demand after the fact. High quality audio and video on demand after the fact. If you uh, visit twit.tv/sn for security uh, now. And uh, by the way, do visit Steve's site because he got all sorts of great freebies and you know stuff about passwords and diet and everything. GRC.com. And then, of course, while you're there, you might as well. Yeah, actually, I forgot to mention, I'm in the process of doing a, a cholesterol sequestration experiment. What the hell is that? I, I'll talk about it next week. I didn't have right. my. I did blood blood tests on Friday after two weeks of experimenting on a new idea of using pistachios to lower cholesterol. <laughs> I kid you not. His body is a temple and a test tube. We also uh, encourage you to buy Spinrite, world's finest hard drive maintenance and recovery utility, uh, because that's Steve's bread and butter. That's how he, that's how he puts uh, two pieces of bread together and puts a piece. And of it's good for you. And it's good for you. And Just like pistachios. Yes, indeed. Thanks, Steve. We'll see you next week on Security Now. Thanks, Leo. Security.